Welcome to another edition of A View from the Top. I'm John Morris and joined as always by Bishop Gregory Parks. And Bishop, a lot has gone on since our last conversation. In our last discussion, Bishop, we talked about the Pennsylvania Grand Jury report that came out. And since then, we have seen some different things come out. A lot of people opining on social media about who knew what, when, and this is the first time that I have seen where clergy in the higher up of the Vatican and here in the States, Archbishop Vigano came out and said some things with a, a rather lengthy letter. The Holy Father has kept quiet on it. Where are you as bishops with this? Have y'all discussed this at all amongst the state bishops? Well, John, it's good to be with you again and, and with your listeners Yeah, the grand jury report that came out from Pennsylvania was quite shocking. And I think my reaction to it was uh, very similar to what I think most people, our listeners, would feel as well. First of all, I was shocked by the the numbers, by what was revealed, the type of abuse, number of victims. And uh, I was angry, John, you know, in in hearing about it and reading about it, I was filled with anger. Uh, as a bishop, I was filled with shame and embarrassment at the lack of action of some of my brother bishops during that time that were implicated in the grand jury report. And of course, and I think above all, just felt a, a sense of sadness and sorrow for the many lives of, of children and young people, teenagers, that were so gravely affected by the abuse of, of both you know, priests as well as bishops. As bishops, we have not had the opportunity to meet since the grand jury report or the testimony of Archbishop Viganò, the former nuncio here to the United States, was uh, publicly uh, revealed. Uh, we will have that opportunity this coming November when we gather in a plenary session in Baltimore, as we do each year. And while I haven't received an agenda for that meeting, I can guarantee to our listeners that the topic uh, that will be of greatest importance will be, you know, the grand jury report, you know, our response to that, actions that we currently are taking and will take, uh, the charter for the protection of of youth and young people. So this is going to be of the utmost importance to the bishops as we gather together this November. The Vigano letter was written... Uh, right at the end of the Holy Father's uh, trip to Ireland. And obviously the journalists on the plane were asking about it. The Holy Father said, you read it and you do your research and then we'll talk later. So where does that leave the church now? Are we just sort of in a state of wait and see until November here in the States? And how does this affect worldwide with the look that the, the Holy Father has from other countries as well? You know, Pope Francis chose to answer with what would be considered a non-answer, as you alluded to. Uh, He instructed the journalists to do their own research and to try to determine the truthfulness of Archbishop Viganò's comments and and accusations. I, I don't know why the Holy Father chose to respond the way he did. I mean, that was his choice, and those were his words that he used or or didn't use in this case. The reality, John, is that in my opinion, the church right now is hurting, and the church is divided, and we do need someone to bring us unity and to bring healing to our church and to its people. 
And I see that being a role of our Holy Father, of the Pope, the bishops of the United States through Cardinal DiNardo, who is our president of our bishops' conference, have requested uh, an investigation to be performed into these matters and has requested that directly from the Holy Father. I am not aware that we've received a response to that request yet, but certainly I think we all feel that it would be beneficial to bring about healing and peace to know the truth. And the truth will only come through a thorough investigation. There was a lot of speculation in the Vigano letter. There was illusion that maybe stuff will come out later. You know, uh, today's social media is a platform for debate, and there's a lot of different opinions. There are those that <laughs> seem to be taking sides with, with what the archbishop is saying, Uh, and those who are siding with Pope Francis. The truth, uh, I'm sure, is somewhere in the middle, but we won't know that until an investigation is performed. So uh, my hope and my prayer is that that Pope Francis will agree to an investigation of these allegations and that the ultimate result will be uh, the truth. Do you think that Pope Benedict possibly stepped—I mean, he saw the writing on the wall. He's named in in the letter. Do you think he said— this is too much. I'm getting to that age where I need somebody younger in here to deal with these matters. You know, that's a that's a good question. There's been speculation about that. What I would say is that those who saw Pope, now Emeritus Benedict, uh, at the time that he renounced the papacy or stepped down, he was very frail at that time and seemed to be failing. He didn't have a uh, what somebody would consider to be a, a healthy strength, you know. He needed assistance with almost everything. So physically, he was on the decline, and, I, and I'm sure that that weighed heavily upon him. If you remember, it was during the spring. It was right before Easter, and I think the Holy Father was envisioning all the responsibilities and liturgical things that he would have to do during Holy Week and the Triduum, and he realized he just physically was not capable of doing those things. Mm-hmm. But also, we people have uh, suggested over the years that administration or governance uh, was not one of his strengths. Uh, he's a very, very intelligent man, very smart, has prolific writing ability, uh, and of course, uh, holiness and, and prayer. Um, but his ability to manage the church and its issues or problems maybe wasn't his strong point. And so that might have also affected his decision to step down. Ultimately, and you know, the Holy Father, Pope Emeritus Benedict, came to the conclusion that he needed to step down, and he had the humility to do that. And, and I think that's important to remember, because when you're in a position of power, it's not often easy to give up that, mm-hmm. that power and influence. But he was humble enough to realize he couldn't undertake the duties and responsibilities of the office any longer. And so he had the humility to step down and really has been true to his promise to kind of be in the background for the last uh, number of years. He lives a very quiet, very private life uh, there within the walls of the Vatican, spends a great deal of time in prayer, but really has not said very, very much over these years. Certainly not publicly. I've read some accounts through some of the newspapers over there in, in Rome saying that, you know, he and Francis have confided and had conversations, but not so much directly to to tell Pope Francis what to do. Yeah, I, I don't think Pope Emeritus Benedict would do that out of respect for Pope Francis and for the office of the Pope, you know, for that position as Vicar of Christ. I'm sure he's left him to himself 
unless, of course, Pope Francis has sought his advice. There are some that would say we need, as I alluded to in the last conversation we had, we need to get rid of all the bishops and start all over. Would that kind of statement then uh, in the in the fractioned world that we're in right now have a chilling effect on the consecration of new bishops and the movement of new bishops to different dioceses around the country? You know, I, I've heard that suggestion, John, and um, uh, I think I, I can certainly understand why there are some, some people that feel that way, that that would be the answer to the problem. I guess what I would just say is that not every bishop or current bishop was responsible for these terrible atrocities, these acts, criminal acts committed against children and, and young people. So to implicate all bishops is probably not fair. But also when you consider if every bishop were to immediately and at the same time resign, there would be a, quite a bit of disorganization and chaos right. in the church because the fact is that in his local diocese, the bishop does fulfill an important role of, of leading and shepherding his diocese. And where does the succession of Peter if they're all gone? Well, of course, uh, <laughs> presumably the Pope would still be <laughs> would, would still be in place, and he is the one that appoints sure. bishops, so that would still fall to him. But the reality, again, is that the process of naming a new bishop, just one new bishop for a diocese that needs one, is, is quite a lengthy process. I think that's where some people are asking the question, will, will, this, will it take longer to fill a, a role now? And if the nuncio were to call Father so-and-so and say, we're naming you, we'd like for you to accept the position as bishop, can the priest say no? Many of our listeners may not be familiar with the, the practical steps that happen in the naming of a, a new bishop to fulfill an opening or to fill an opening in a diocese. But it's, as I mentioned, quite a lengthy process. Uh, it's not uncommon for it to take anywhere from six months to a year or even longer. And the reason is because of the research that is done. Questionnaires are sent out to those who are proposed as candidates. And so they look at their history. They look at their assignments that they've had, their personal qualities, personal holiness. Is there anything in their history that could potentially be a cause of scandal to the church in the future? Assuming that all that checks out, then their name is submitted to the Holy Father, usually with along with two other names, and the Holy Father makes a choice. Now, when the nuncio calls to inform a priest that he has been uh, named a bishop by Pope Francis, the nuncio always asks, do you accept? Do you accept? And I would say that I know for a fact that sometimes priests do say no, because I asked the nuncio that question one time, uh, in fact, recently when he was here in our diocese for our 50th anniversary back in June. We had some free time, and I was just talking with him, and I asked him that, and he said no. He said, in fact, sometimes priests do say no. They have particular reasons for doing so, and we have to respect that. So it does happen. You know, in this climate that we're in, it might be a little more— um challenging for, for for a young priest to say, you know what, I, I don't think I want this job at this time. Yeah, I, I would say saying no for those kind of reasons because you don't want to deal with the, the headaches or the, the, the problems that you might encounter, particularly at a time in our history like this, would, would probably not be the best reason to say no. A lot of times when priests uh, do not accept that uh, that appointment as a bishop, 
It's because they might have some personal health issues that might not be known to others or family issues. Uh, again, something in their history that uh, could influence the decision if, if it were made known. And, and so we have to trust and respect that. Locally, have you been contacted by the state attorney general or do you know if Archbishop Winsky has to say we're going to open up the files to the entire state of Florida through all the dioceses? Uh, John, I, I don't know. I can't speak uh, for the other dioceses. Again, the, the bishops of Florida haven't formally met during the last several weeks. I have been contacted and have a meeting uh, coming up with the state prosecutor, statewide prosecutor, who was notified by the state attorney's office and asked to contact uh, our diocese here in St. Petersburg. So I'll meet with him, and uh, it's an informal conversation. I think he primarily uh, would like to get to know what our procedures and our policies are with regard to allegations of abuse, how they're handled, how they've been handled in the past, uh, and so forth. And then we'll go from there. I'm not sure what the next step will be if they request to review our files or to do an investigation. I, as bishop, I want to do what's best for our diocese, and I would certainly be open to that. What do you say to the parishioner who says, Bishop Parks, I'm not giving you another dime. I'm not coming back to the church. I'm wiping my hands. How do you respond? Well, that, that makes me sad, John, and it's unfortunate. I guess I would just remind our listeners, and I've had this conversation uh, in my own mind, actually, uh, with, with my own struggles during the, these past weeks, is to remind myself that you know my faith is not in a person. It's not in a priest. It's not based on a bishop or a cardinal. My faith is in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, our church has existed. In fact, at times has, has thrived and grown, uh, gone through good periods, gone through bad periods over the last 2,000 years, not because of our leaders, but almost in spite of them. Uh, that's because the church is divinely guided by the Holy Spirit, though it is led by certainly imperfect and sinful individuals. So I would just say to remember the good work and ministry that the Catholic Church does, you know, through Catholic Charities, through St. Vincent de Paul, through all of our ministries at our parishes, and the support that's needed to continue that ministry. So just remember our, our faith is in Jesus Christ. I was edified by the fact that the weekend following all of this news and business that came out, when I went to Mass that weekend, I believe it was the the back end of John chapter 6 where the gospel was Jesus turned to his followers and said, are you going to leave too? And they said, who are we going to go to? You, you are the Christ. I mean, you have the words of eternal life. And I think that's where where we have to stand in this. That That's true, John. And, and also to remember with the reports that have come out, uh, once again, that, that covered an, a, a period of time of 70 years. So th- most of these cases that we're hearing about, particularly from the grand jury report in Pennsylvania, they're from decades ago. And many of those priests are, are deceased. Obviously, they're no longer in ministry. You know, so not to say that there aren't current issues that we need to address. We, we certainly do. But to remember, for our people to remember that that the majority, the overwhelming majority of our priests are, are good and are holy men. And they're trying their best in spite of their weaknesses to fulfill their ministry as, as priests of God. 
in what you have read, and I know there's a lot of suggestions floating out there, people are tired of hearing, well, we continue to pray for our leaders. We continue to pray for our church. They want to see some kind of action. What in Bishop Gregory Parks's mind would be appropriate action? Well, first and foremost, I would say we do need to pray, and that would be particularly for the victims of sexual abuse at the hands of, of clergy, at the hands of bishops. We need to pray for reparation for omissions committed by bishops and for those crimes that have been committed. So I think prayer does play an important part in the healing that needs to, to happen. And I'm looking at ways currently that we as a diocese can publicly express that prayer primarily for, again, for victims, for their healing, and for their peace, uh, but also for the guidance that we need to move forward. As far as action is concerned, you know, I'm the bishop here of a local diocese, and I have authority over what happens here in this diocese, so I can affect things here and make changes and, and do all of that. But on a national level and regarding the universal church around the world, I mean, I'm one bishop of thousands of bishops, so I don't have the authority to necessarily do things beyond my own diocese. Now, the bishops of the United States, in unity, in union with each other, can take action and can request things of the Holy Father, and that's what we're doing right now. Lay commissions, that kind of thing? I would say that would be an important element of anything we do, of any investigation that takes place, of any reform. Certainly there needs to be a a large presence of qualified lay experts uh, to assist us and to, uh, to guide us to make the changes that we need to make. Shifting gears a little bit, recently we saw the passing of Senator John McCain, and it was interesting that a lot of the nation came together despite the fact of our current political climate, they came together in a sense of love. You saw former presidents that were on opposite sides of opinions on things, sharing candy at the church, and and just kind of coming together as one country. And I don't think we've had that same feeling in our country in a long time. And you're right, John, but isn't it a shame that it, it takes is. death or some type of a national tragedy or an act of terrorism against our nation to bring us together, you know? And the fact that, yes, at those moments, we do seem to be more unified, but then, boy, it, it goes away quickly. And literally, <laughs> a couple of days later, uh, it becomes a very partisan battle. And I think one of the things with Senator McCain was— um, you know, regardless of what your politics are, I think he was generally looked at as a good man and and somebody that was willing to work with his colleagues in Congress, in in the Senate, to try to reach agreement on issues that would he viewed as being good for our country. So he wasn't, uh, did not hold the, the partisanship that we see so often today. You know, there's so much politics in Washington. There's also politics in the church. And it seems as you sort of alluded to early in our conversation, the church seems to be broken a little bit, and it seems to become, we've become polarized. How do we fix it? Well, you're right. I mean, there's politics in the church, and boy, there's a lot of division at the moment, isn't there? And uh, that that's not what the church is about. You know, Jesus Christ came to bring unity and to bring peace. Yes, he came to bring division on certain issues where you have to make a choice, but really our church is about unifying. And at the moment, we're not. There's just too many issues currently that need to be resolved. 
again, investigated. The truth needs to be presented so that we can move forward and and hopefully begin to heal. And I believe it's going to be up to the bishops individually, uh, in unison, as a conference, and with our Holy Father, Pope Francis, to to bring about that unity and that peace that, that we don't currently have. Something that's going on locally as we tape today. You're having uh, the first of a two-part series, I'll call it, on race relations. Bishop Five is coming to town, who is on that committee for the bishops' conference to talk and to have a listening session because, the, again, the country seems to be split with people not talking. And that feedback, although it's not as bad in the church, there is some of that, I guess. And that's why we're coming together to have that listening session. Yes. I mean, we we have to begin by acknowledging that racism does still exist, that it is a reality here in our country, uh, in the world, and unfortunately has been part of our church history as well. And so some may ask, well, why is the church getting involved in this issue? Well, because we need to, and it's part of our faith uh, that we are called to love each other, not to love somebody only if they look the same as I do, if they have the same skin color as I do, if they're from the same place that I'm from, yeah. uh, and those sort of things. But Jesus said to, to love one another uh, as I love you. And when that doesn't exist or where there is discrimination based on race, that's not acceptable. And we need to address that as a church and hopefully through these listening sessions to, to raise the issue so that we can uh, hopefully resolve them. And I know that uh, down the road there'll be more about these, and and Spirit of Them will be producing a a program about race relations in the Catholic Church and here in the Bay Area. You've got a big event coming up. I know that St. Peter Claver Catholic Church is celebrating 125 years as a parish here in our diocese, and they serve a a diverse community uh, over in, in Tampa right off of Ybor City. Yeah, they sure do. And boy, what a beautiful parish community. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to visiting to celebrate the Mass there on that weekend for their 125th. It is really one of the, the most historic parishes here in our diocese and here on the Gulf Coast. And um, they also operate uh, St. Peter Claver School, Catholic School, which is a historic school. And again, has um, uh, historically been an African-American school right. and serves the poor. I don't know if our listeners would know this, but I would say probably 98, 99% of the students that attend St. Peter Claver only are able to do so through the Step Up for Students program, where they receive scholarships to, to be able to receive a quality faith-based education. And many of those students are not Catholic. That's right. But yet, that's part of our mission as a church, is to educate the young and to lead them to faith in God and in Jesus Christ. They're doing that through that beautiful parish of St. Peter Claver. Well, we'll continue to keep Father Hugh Chikawe and the parishioners of St. Peter Claver in our prayers, as well as all of our parishes here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg as we celebrate our 50th anniversary. I want to remind our listeners before we break that uh, we have a big event coming up October 27th at Al Lopez Park in Tampa, the Family Faith Fest. Looking forward to the Family Faith Fest, and it's going to be a great day for the Diocese of St. Petersburg, but also for our local community, because everyone's invited, not just not just the uh, Catholics from our diocese. It's going to be a day of, um, of faith, of food, of muse, great Christian music. We're going to have different uh, tents and opportunities for, for children to participate and have a good time. 
Uh, we'll have the sacraments available, and of course, we're going to conclude with the celebration of Mass at 4 p.m. Just need our listeners, to, uh, like myself, to, to keep Correct. praying for good weather. That would be wonderful. <laughs> well, we're going to be on the back end of hurricane season, so uh, we're looking forward. I was doing a, a little study on what the regular percentage of rain is for that time of year, and it's very low. So let's continue to lift that day up, that it be a dry, sunny, pleasant day for us all. Before I leave, I want to go to our listener mailbag. We got a couple of letters that came in from our last conversation, Bishop. Uh, This one says, uh, I was following that interview, quite explosive to be honest. I don't think any bishop here in Kenya can be that frank and bold as such. That was from Father Peter listening through the Spirit FM website. So thank you for that. And uh, from Susanna Tampa, she said, I just listened to the interview with Bishop Parks. Thank you for the immediate response to the dreadful turn of abuse scandal. Thank you for asking the hard questions. I'm glad our bishop answered directly and firmly. And also a letter critical about me. This is from Bob. I'm not sure where he's from, but uh, he says, I was listening to your interview, and I'm gravely concerned with one of your comments regarding the abuse findings, describing the details as minutia. That was insulting and inappropriate, and it's a long way from point A to point B, but the term minutia regarding the PA report is completely unacceptable and reprehensible. I'll just say, Bob, that I, when I wrote you, I appreciate your letter, and we, we only had 20 minutes to talk about 900 pages, so we didn't want to get into the details uh, of that, so I apologize for that use of the term. And uh, if you have a comment or question or suggestion for Bishop Parks, you can email us at contact at myspiritfm.com, and maybe you'll get your letter read here on the program. Bishop Parks, can we close with your blessing? Of of course, John. And before we do that, isn't it amazing that uh, Spirit FM is reaching Kenya? Oh, it is. Praise be to God. (laughs) Amen for that. I I didn't realize our signal was that strong. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But... uh, Of course, so may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon you and upon all of our listeners today and always. Amen.